Last August, we offered a 72-hour read-through of the Bible to kick off this year of hearing God's story, an overview of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Roughly 130 different folks showed up in the middle of the day and in the middle of the night to read as part of this three-day event. It was streamed live while it was happening, and approximately 3,000 folks tuned in to watch. We started on Sunday and finished with the final chapters of Revelation on Wednesday afternoon. An audience gathered at the conclusion to help encourage our final reader over the finish line, cheering and clapping as he wrapped up. That celebration at the end wasn't just an expression of accomplishment for what was a pretty significant feat. It also came from a place where so many of us stopped our other activities and responsibilities and came together to participate in a common act of remembrance. Over those three days, we were reminded that we are God's people, that our stories today are intertwined with the stories of God's people that go back centuries and millennia. And we were reminded of God's faithfulness to his people This read-through stands firmly in the tradition of God's people. The last day of Sukkot, one of the three main Jewish festivals, is Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah, which literally means joy of the Torah, celebrates the end of the annual cycle of reading the Torah in the synagogue and the beginning of the new cycle with Genesis. In the synagogue, all of the scrolls of Torah are taken out of the ark, and they are danced with by the people, men, women, and children. Many congregations even take their scroll dancing out into the street. There is singing and treats are passed out. It is an exuberant celebration of remembrance and gratitude that God has given the scripture to Israel. Our reading from Nehemiah this morning is a formational story in that Jewish tradition of Simchat Torah. After Persia defeats Babylon, the Jews that have been captive in exile are freed to return to Jerusalem. But the Babylonian conquest and years of occupation have left Jerusalem in ruins. The returning folks are overwhelmed with the rebuilding task that is before them. And more than this, they are sitting ducks for folks who want to do them harm. Nehemiah, who serves King Artaxerxes of Persia, is allowed to return to Jerusalem as governor and oversee the rebuilding of the city. Under his leadership, the people begin clearing out the debris and building homes, but most importantly, they rebuild the walls around the city. With the walls rebuilt, the people are secure from the marauding tribes that had been harassing their defeated city. And while the people celebrate this milestone, there is still a lot missing. The temple, mm, somewhat rebuilt, is a sad shadow of its former glory. There is no king. Nehemiah recognizes that even though the people are back in Jerusalem, they no longer know who they are. And so Nehemiah invites respected scribe Ezra to read the words of Scripture to the people. The people had probably not experienced a reading of Scripture like this for decades. We're told eight times in this passage that all the people 
men, women, and children were included in the gathering. Ezra begins reading in the early morning and goes right through mid-afternoon. He reads all of Torah to the people. And as he's reading, Ezra and others assisting him interpret for the people. They help the people understand God's word for their own time and situation. And when the reading is complete, we're told that the people react by weeping. They are deeply moved by what they have heard. Perhaps in gratitude for the recovery of their story and a sense of God's abiding care. Perhaps with regret over the loss of Torah during the exile. But mostly by the conviction of how far they had fallen away from what God expects and desires. They had lost their unique relationship with God a relationship that was at the heart of their identity. But Nehemiah and Ezra and the other leaders tell the people, do not weep. They say that God's desire is not that the people feel guilty after hearing their story. On the contrary, God wants them to feast. This is a day of celebration, a day holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, they say, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This story in Nehemiah is one of the few places in Scripture that talks about Scripture as such, showing us what happens when a community comes together to hear the written word proclaimed. Did you notice all the recognizable elements of worship that are present in this story? The people gather. Ezra stands on a platform above the people. When he opens the scroll to read Scripture, the people stand. An interpretation is offered. The people respond by saying amen and they bow their heads to worship God. Isn't it remarkable that we continue to include so many aspects of worship whose roots are found this deep in Scripture? Further, it's a story that highlights how the reading and expounding of Scripture and worship forms us as a community. This was a rough time for God's people. They had returned home, but home was forever changed. And even as they slowly moved forward, all around them was evidence of everything they had lost, of how diminished their lives had become. But the reading of Scripture in community reminds them of who they are and who God is. This is the God who created them for His enjoyment. This is the God who promised to bless the whole world through them. This is the God who remained faithful to them even as the people displayed over and over again that they were incapable of remaining faithful to God. And more than this, they were able to see each other as part of the story. They saw themselves in one another and knew one another as pilgrims on this journey they were reminded that they were not alone. They had God and they had each other. And today's story tells us that God desires our joy. God doesn't want us to go around in sackcloth and ashes, self-flagellating ourselves for falling short. 
God doesn't give us his will for us in scripture so that we will feel bad about ourselves. Or even worse, throw in the towel as being unable to live up to his standard. Yes, scripture reveals our sin. But it also reveals the source of our hope. A God who is faithful to his promises. Scripture provides a boundary within which our relationship with God and others can flourish. It shows us how to live as God's covenantal people. God has given us scripture as a gift, a gift to be celebrated. Clearly, Nehemiah was an Episcopalian because he tells the people to go out and eat the richest, fattest food and drink the sweetest, finest wine. Recovering and holding fast the place of Scripture in our life is meant to result in our joy. And not just joy for us, but an overflowing joy that spills over to those who otherwise wouldn't be included in the feast. For us as Christians, the understanding of Scripture as a gift from God culminates in our gospel passage for today. Jesus opens the scroll of Isaiah and reads and interprets for the people, today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. God has given us his word in Scripture so that we might know how he desires for us to be in loving relationship with him and one another. But generation after generation, we've turned his word into rules that either allow us to feel that we are earning our way into God's good graces or, much more likely, convict us of the certainty that we will never be able to live as God desires. But as we see in today's reading, God doesn't give us his word so that we'll feel bad about ourselves. He gives it to us as a gift And when we fail time and again to receive his word as gift, he sent the ultimate gift in the word incarnate, Jesus Christ. Jesus does not replace or invalidate the gift of scripture. As we are told today, he is its fulfillment. So, I encourage you to go home and tuck into a big, meaty meal and lift a glass of Cabernet and rejoice. (laughs) For this is good news. Amen.